welcome to this, the first episode in the Credit and Lending During a Cost of Living Crisis podcast from the Charter Banker Institute. Today I'm joined by Paul Barrett, who is the Head of Wellbeing for the Bank Workers Charity. Paul is an occupational psychologist with over 25 years experience in the wellbeing field. He's an established commentator on workplace wellbeing, writing for a range of HR journals, as well as for financial sector publications like Financial News and the Charter Banker magazine. So welcome, Paul. Whilst this series is specifically looking at credit and lending in a cost of living crisis, it's also important to recognise that the cost of living crisis coming off the back of COVID is causing financial hardship to bank employees too. So, Paul, what are you hearing from employees who are approaching the bank's workers' charity for help? Well, Steve, I'm, I'm sure it will come as no surprise when I tell you that many bank employees are struggling financially right now and that, like the general population, they're worried about the future. And I think particularly with the big hike in energy prices that's coming in April. Now, what's interesting is how the numbers of people seeking help with financial problems from the Bank Workers Charity has changed over the last couple of years. We've always used our money to help bank employees who've got into financial difficulty. If you go back to 2019, pre-pandemic, about a third of all of our cases were people seeking help with financial problems. Pretty significant numbers, because even then, lots of bank employees had money problems. When the pandemic hit, those numbers jumped to 41% of all of our cases, because lots of bank employees, yes, they were still getting their salaries, but they had partners who were on furlough or had even lost their jobs. And as a result, the household finances went off a cliff. But the cost of living crisis is something else because now financial problems, they are distributed much more widely across the population. And being employed does not exempt you from money problems, especially now. And as a result, financial well-being concerns have led to 60 to 65% of all of our cases. That's completely unprecedented in all of our years as a charity. So what we're seeing is lots of employees who are struggling to afford the basics of life once they've paid off their rents, their mortgages, their energy bills, and so on. We're seeing many more people coming through with debt problems. We're also seeing an increase in people seeking help with the stress and mental health problems that have arisen because of their financial difficulties. And that is something the charity can help with. Some groups, I'd have to say, are hit particularly hard. Single parents, employees with disabilities, young employees who don't have so much in the way of savings. And it isn't just people on lower salaries. What surprised us is that people on relatively high salaries are seeking help. Now, in some ways, that shouldn't be such a surprise because Salary Finance did some research in 2019 that found the two income groups that worried the most about money were those who are earning under 10,000 a year but those who are earning over 100,000. Now, one of the biggest problems we have is that we live in a society where it's just not normal to talk about money, and that's whether you've got loads of it or whether you've got hardly any. It's especially difficult for people to talk about their money problems. Now, that happens to be true for the general population, but it's even truer for bank employees who, because they work for a bank, they feel a heightened sense of shame and humiliation when they get into financial difficulty. They fear how people are gonna respond. What? You work for a bank. 
and you've got 10,000 quid's worth of debt. How does that work? Yep. The thing about this is, yes, some bank employees are working with money, but you've got very large numbers of bank employees who in their work have no dealings with money at all. You know, they're working in marketing, they work in IT, they work in HR. There's no reason why their money management skills should be any better than anybody else's. Nevertheless, they feel the shame. Now, I've got a sad quote I'd like to read you from a young woman that went to extraordinary lengths to hide her money problems from her colleagues. And what she had to say was this. I wasn't considered to be a team player because I wouldn't join sweepstakes. I wouldn't buy cakes or contribute to birthday presents or go out for drinks. I knew what they were all thinking about me, but I just couldn't bring myself to explain. Now, that's the stigma. It makes people unwilling to admit they're struggling financially. They find it very hard to step forward and seek help when they need it. Now, unfortunately, we see this all the time at the Bank Workers Charity with employees who, when they call, will say, you know what? I thought of calling you four months ago, but I just couldn't bring myself to pick up the phone. I just felt so ashamed. And the result is when they eventually do call us, their financial situation is dramatically worse. It's much harder to resolve for us, but also for them. And that's why we've got to get people talking about financial well-being at work to break through the stigma. And we are beginning to see banks encouraging those conversations. Personally, I think it's going to take campaigns like those that the banks did so successfully to break through the stigma around mental health at work. Because with financial well-being, we're where, where we were five years ago with mental health, where nobody felt comfortable admitting to their manager or to a colleague that they suffered with anxiety or depression. And yet, if there's any time when people should feel comfortable talking about their financial difficulties, it really ought to be now, because there are so many people out there who are struggling. So they're the kind of things we're seeing, Steve, as people are using our services. And that's very consistent with some of the results that I've seen in staff opinion surveys across a number of the banks that I work with. And I think executives have been surprised by the level of concern that their employees are expressing around their own financial well-being and also um, you know, the number of staff who are using food banks and, and other areas of support. Um, and at the other end of the spectrum, as you quite rightly point out, I mean, I've done some work with Fairer Finance and they'll tell you that they receive as many requests for, for, for funding from people who are over uh, earning over £100,000 as they do from people on lower salaries. So I, I think you're right. We're seeing this come out in a number of areas and it's only going to get exacerbated as we, as we head into a more difficult um, year in 2023. So... Against that background, what sort of tips can you give to bank employees when it comes to their own personal finances? What type of advice do you guys hand out? What I'm about to tell you is, is pretty much, in many ways, common sense kind of things. They're straightforward steps we can and should be taking to protect our finances. So, you know, if somebody comes seeking help from the charity, they'll get help to manage, work out their debt, to manage the best steps to move forward with it. But if you're talking about the kind of tips that we offer, they are essentially things that are the basis of sound money management. So what, what kind of things am I talking about? Well, firstly, 
we'll say to them, if you haven't already done so, make sure to create a budget because creating a budget allows you to plan your expenditures. So you've got enough to live on in the day to day, but you can also afford those things that are important to you. Reduces the risk of you slipping into debt. But if you're already in debt, it will help you to get back into a sound financial position. We encourage them to try and avoid impulsive purchasing. Now, the availability of credit cards means it is so easy to shop on autopilot without really considering whether what you're purchasing is something you can really afford. And that might not have been so important a couple of years ago, but now with the costs of everything soaring, we really do need to be careful about buying things on credit until we've identified that there really is a clear need for them and we know it's not gonna cause them problems further down the line. We would encourage them to review their expenditures on a regular basis. You know, are there things which, yes, they're nice, but maybe you can do without? You might, for example, decide to bring in a packed lunch rather than buy something at work. Maybe forego the daily coffee you pick up at Fret on the way in. Do you really use Amazon Prime all that much? You've got Netflix as well. Do you, are you really getting the best value from it? Is it the best use of your money? Lots of these relatively low-level expenditures do build up and need reviewing. I always feel slightly uncomfortable about the next one, Steve, um, because I know many people are at the very limits of the money they have available to them at the moment. Um, but it is nevertheless saving to fund future spending is a fundamental principle of good money management. So I'm going to cover it anyway, even though I know for many people saving is probably not much of an option at the moment. Now, obviously, the easiest way to get into the habit of saving is to make it automatic by setting up a standing order that flows into your current from your current bank account into your savings account. The thing is, this allows you to create some kind of safety net for yourself that will enable you to withstand a financial shock because and we see this again and again. I can't tell you how many of our clients come through, found themselves in impossible circumstances. They've been made redundant. They've got a serious injury or illness that's caused their finances to go off a cliff. What happens if the boiler breaks? If you have no savings, you've got no safety net. So again, important principle. Try and pay down bad debt. Now, good debt is what we have when we're purchasing something that's going to increase in value over time, things like a house mortgage. Bad debt, according to the Money Advice Service, is something that drains your wealth, not really affordable, offers no real prospect of paying for itself in the future. Many credit purchases are good examples of that. And of course, they can be a problem because of the high interest rates. But I think the final thing, um, and this is a broad message, I deliver webinars on financial wellbeing all the time, and it's an absolutely central point of all of those webinars. If you get into financial difficulty, try and step outside the stigma, seek expert help and seek it early. So hopefully some tips there, that's you know things that we're um, encouraging people to do when they come and seek help from us. Um, hopefully some things that are, that are useful. I think you make a, a couple of really good points. I mean, the firstly, the one around um, the sense of of isolation or stigma that arises when you can't um, buy cakes or enter a sweepstake. 
and 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 I think it's important that banks are able to to help recognise those types of um, tensions that start to emerge. And then secondly, around savings, I, I remember being asked by a journalist uh, when I was at Santander, why don't people save so much money these days compared to the eighties and the nineties? Uh, they're both quite a long time ago, but but in reality. At the point I made to him was that in the 80s and the 90s, there weren't nearly as many things upon which you could spend money, mobile phones, uh, holidays to, to, to foreign destinations or even weekends away. The, the, we have to recognise that the world of spending has changed fundamentally and that's had a real impact on savings. And, it, and, and it's therefore harder for people to let go of these things because they've become part of their lives in a way that we might have thought of them as very discretionary spend. So you mentioned Netflix and Amazon Prime and, and what have you. Um, but, but nevertheless, it's, it's, it's very good advice. Over the last year or so, we've seen, I think, some welcome interventions from banks in terms of making cost of living payments to staff. But these are, these are one-off adjustments rather than, than salary increases. What else do you think banks could be doing to help their staff and what other things have you seen from banks to help their staffs in the in these difficult times yes steve uh, yes of course there have been the cost of living payments and i i do think it's worth mentioning that banks were among the very first employers to respond in this way almost all of the banks did it i think it was extremely reassuring the staff to see that their employer understood the kind of pressures they were under so that was great but actually banks have been addressing employee financial well-being for some time and they, they, it's generally part of their overall workplace well-being strategies now if you look at banks well-being strategies what you see is that financial well-being is nearly always central pillar in them and that means that even before the cost of living crisis most banks already had some programs in place to support the financial well-being of their people now what the cost of living crisis has done of course is it's pushed financial well-being much further at the business agenda. And so what we're seeing is a broadening out, a deepening of banks' approaches to financial well-being. And it's featuring much more prominently within the organizations in a very visible way than it ever has before. Now, at the Bank Workers Charity, we've always treated financial well-being very seriously because we see literally on a daily basis through our work with bank employees, how damaging money problems are to people. And in fact, back in 2017, when financial well-being still hadn't really become a well-being priority for most businesses, we produced a white paper calling on employees to do more to support the financial well-being of their people. Because even then, we could see where things were going. Since then, we've worked very closely with banks on their financial well-being approaches. And since the cost of living crisis, we've seen lots of very different responses and initiatives from banks. Again, you won't be surprised to learn there's not a uniform approach across the sector. And that's what you'd expect, because banks should take an approach that's designed to fit the specific needs of their business, their people. But nevertheless, there are certain commonalities. One of the commoner things we've seen over the last couple of years is banks running internal campaigns to alert employees to the importance of financial well-being. Related to that, we've seen banks bringing in specialists to run sessions on financial education, you know, seminars on things like budgeting, understanding interest rates, principles of sound money management. And actually, we've made some contribution to that because 
BWC developed its own webinar on the importance of financial well-being, and we've delivered it 49 times across the sector to different banks since 2021 as part of the surge in interest in financial well-being. Other banks have got interest in the technological approach to it. Um, so they're offering support through specific platforms. Now, a number of banks, including Deutsche and Santander, offer a platform called Nudge. It's a digital platform that takes a personalized approach to money management. So it's kind of based on your personal circumstances and your profile, and it provides relevant financial education. It will send you updates, information that's directly relevant to your circumstances. So for example, you might get a feed about some tax law changes that may be financially beneficial to you. Some banks are exploring low-cost loans for staff. Now, that's perhaps more important than you might think, Steve, because the financial wellbeing specialist neighbor found that in 2019, 50% of employees were borrowing on a regular basis to meet their day-to-day -day living costs. And most of the businesses that go down this route use an external provider to give out and manage the loans. So that avoids the employee getting into difficulty with the employer if things go wrong and the employee ends up defaulting on their payments. I think the benefit for employees is that they avoid the temptation to get tangled up with payday loan providers that are offering money at extremely punitive rates. And HSBC and a number of other banks have chosen to set up hardship funds for employees um, that are struggling. The funds are managed by the Bank Workers Charity and they're promoted heavily across the bank. And that ensures that there's money available to help employees who've got into serious difficulty. Something else that I've seen banks offer is the opportunity to have personal financial health checks. So employees can make an appointment with a financial advisor that works for the bank to discuss any money concerns that they have. Now, this is actually an extension of a service that was already being made available to customers, but making it available to employees too, and giving them access to expert financial advice. It's been really well received where it's been offered. So that probably, that, that's a fair spread of some of the things that we've been seeing, Steve. And, and I think it's been really interesting to get an insight as to how different banks are, are thinking about this problem. Um, because if you look at the statistics coming out around homeowners who will be refinancing their mortgages this year at significantly higher interest rates than they've been used to, um, fuel may very well become cheaper, depends where, where we get to versus the dollar and, and also you know, the, the kind of structural supply issues that exist globally. But some of the costs that people have seen in terms of their shopping basket and their energy bill, they're not going to go away. They're going to be there this time next year. And, and even if inflation comes down to 2%, it'll be 2% on a higher number than it was when we started this. So I, I do think that the, the, the really good points you make around being prepared to embrace this challenge and find solutions is, is a really important message rather than you know, feel that it's a failure on, on your part and, and that you should run away from it. I think embracing the problem and getting help and, and actually employers being prepared to give you that help um, is, is a really important element in, in helping bank employees through, I think, the next two to three years. So my final question is really, in addition to yourselves, are there any other charities or 
or pointers that you would give to bank employees who are facing into some of these challenges? Yeah, I, I'm just going to mention one. <laughs> I talked about bank workers charity a bit, but just one final thing uh, before we move on to the very good external sources of support that are out there. I've mentioned that we provide grants to people, um, but our website has some wonderful guides and interactive tools to support financial well-being. There's a budget planner, there's a money health check, there's a financial resilience tool. But the other thing to be aware of is we also have counselling services to help people to manage the stress and the anxiety that they experience as a, as a result of their money worries. But there are also some great support and advice available from other agencies, of course. Now, we work really closely with debt, the debt charity Step Change. Now, every year, Step Change help around 600,000 people to manage their debt problems. The service is free. It's confidential, just like we are. It isn't restricted to debt advice. They advise on general money management and also how to maximize your income as well. Importantly, they have an online debt advice tool that allows people to address the problems, but without needing to speak to anybody. And they develop that, I think probably predictably, to get around the problem that some people are so uncomfortable about talking about their financial problems that they wouldn't seek help if they had to. And that gives them a route to begin to, to dip their toe in the water of dealing with their problems. Another resource I draw attention to, which many of your listeners may already be familiar with, Steve, is the Money Saving Expert website, which I think is really outstanding. It's regularly updated. They let you know what is new or what has changed around things like benefit entitlements or the government support that's available and all the different um, you know, kind of configurations around that. There is also lots of great content and ideas on there, but I would really highlight something called Martin Lewis's Cost of Living Help Guide, because it has a huge range of different ways that people can generate income, reduce your outgoings, save money. Um, and I would really strongly recommend that. Also, just finally, because all banks have them, worth mentioning your bank's employee assistance program. And they can sometimes help with money issues. They certainly will provide counseling and emotional support for when the financial pressures become too much for people and begin to affect their mental health. So they're the things, Steve, I'd probably most strongly recommend. I mean, I think there's some really important uh, and really helpful insights there, um, particularly around the fact that this is this is something that people need to face into and get help with um, and that the help is there for them and actually reaching out for that help is a perfectly acceptable and reasonable thing to do and indeed the right thing to do. And it's also good to see that a number of banks are putting in place support mechanisms above and beyond what they've had in the past to help their employees. It's always that tricky conversation, particularly when you're at an executive or a board level around um, you know, what's the right cost income ratio for an organization? And, and certainly as interest rates rise, banks' profitability is going to increase significantly. And, and that discussion around whether the balance is right is going to be a, much more at the forefront than maybe it has been for the last two or three years when, when returns on equity in banks have been pretty low. Um, so I think it's going to be something that is going to continue to be a feature. And as I said, I think it's really great that, banks are starting to see the challenges and help their employees and it's also great to know that there is 
the bank workers charity there to support them and, and give them guidance and, and possibly point them in the direction of other support mechanisms as well as providing direct help. So Paul, that's been a really fascinating insight to the, into the work that you guys do. Um, I do hope that um, for those people who choose to listen to this podcast that they've taken away something that might help them. And if it doesn't help them, maybe it helps a colleague who they know is in difficulty. So Paul, many thanks for taking the time to, to share with us um, the activities of the Bank Workers Charity and all the very best for 2023. Thanks very much, Steve. A pleasure. Thank you.